Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. Today, I'm joined by Bree Jenkins of the Full-Time MBA 2019 class. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So Bree, let us start from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Because I know nothing about you. Of course. So beginning, there's so many beginnings. I will start with Flint, Michigan, which is now notorious. Oh, you're from Flint. I was born in Flint, Michigan. Yes. Did you grow up in Michigan? I did. I grew up half in Michigan, half in Georgia. So my mother moved my brother and I to Southfield, Michigan. I was about six years old. He was three for better educational opportunities, essentially. And then we moved to Georgia in about eighth to ninth grade, uh, mostly because of the military. Oh, wow. I'm from Michigan. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I I mean, I was was born in China, but I moved to Michigan when I was seven, Southeast Michigan from uh, Rochester Hills. Nice. My uncle lives in Rochester Hills. I was just out there. So I grew up in Michigan and um, <laughs> moved to LA right after college. Wonderful. So I'm, I'm a Michigander. Michigander. I, I didn't know that about you. That wasn't in your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> it's not there. That's true. <laughs> but um, you grew up in, you said ninth, so basically high school. You spent high school in Georgia. Yes. Uh, and then did you end up going to school in Georgia? Or Yes, I did. So high school was in Georgia. I started off because my mom uh, is in the Army Reserve. And so she was serving down there. And I actually went to go live with my best friend for the first couple of months of high school oh, nice. so that I could go to school uh, right. because we were still in transition and didn't have housing yet. And then I went to college at Georgia Tech. What did you study there? Studied industrial engineering. Industrial and systems engineering is the, the full name because everyone is like, what is industrial engineering? Right. Um, so it is process improvement in dealing with large systems and making sure that everything in them can work well. What is industrial engineering? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is it is the study of systems and processes. So to give an example, mm-hmm. industrial engineers usually work in a place like a auto manufacturing plant. They're uh-huh. the ones who help to ensure that things are going along the line well, that they're put in at the appropriate time, that as soon as the next person needs to put a wheel on, they're doing that. They know the difference of if someone doesn't do that in time, what will happen to the whole system and how it would affect it. And I loved it. I had absolutely loved math and science growing up my whole life, Mm -hmm. but industrial engineering also allowed me to work with and talk to people. And that was a nice combination for me. I mean, how is that different from operations or maybe Mm -hmm. it isn't? It is very similar to operations. I would say the only difference is that from an industrial engineering perspective, we not only deal with the kind of the business aspects of what might happen, so the Mm -hmm. financial aspects, things like that, we model things using computer science and using mathematics in programs and simulations. So it sounds like it's more data-driven, more scientific. Yes. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. I've always wondered what industrial (laughs) engineers did. Yeah, it's always a mystery. (laughs) So what did you do after college? I took my dream job, actually. I was accepted to my dream job. I had worked at three different organizations in undergrad. Mm -hmm. Um, The first was a co-op for a full year. I realized I did not want to do that supply chain software programming. It was not interesting to me. And then I got an invitation to go work at 
Disney for a semester. So I interned there in creative costuming. So it was all about trying to figure out how we could track these costumes because there are tens of thousands of people who work at Walt Disney World Resort. And I think about 70% of them are costumed. And so if you're thinking about how can we track those costumes, launder them, all of those different things, that was my job. And then I worked at Procter & Gamble. So I had a lot of different work experiences and I just couldn't wait to go back to Disney. It was really magical, (laughs) but actually. (laughs) (laughs) This was down in Florida? Yes. Okay. And I keep on, so I live in LA and I should know this better, but Disney World is in Florida? Disney World is in Florida and then other Disney Worlds are around the world. So we have, our Disneylands are in the other parts of the world. Just, I never thought about this, but do you know why it's called Disney World in Florida? Or in Disneyland's elsewhere? Yeah, the first, so the first one was Disneyland in California. Oh, okay. And that one, it was what Walt kind of was taking a chance on trying to start something new, do something experimental. Right. And kind of completely change the game. But if you go to Disneyland, you'll notice it is very much surrounded by hotels, by buildings, by restaurants. It doesn't feel like, besides the park, it has its own real identity. Mm. And so he brought the land in Florida to create Disney World, where the thought was that it was a bigger piece of land. We have over 20 different resorts, four parks, two water parks, so many things within this one area. And it feels like its own mini city. I think it's about the size of San Francisco. You have me uh, excited now. (laughs) I actually, I haven't been to Disney World since I was 14. Wow. So I actually don't really, I only remember the Epcot Center. That's, That's about it. I just remember going in the ride. I don't know. The inside was a ride until mm-hmm. I went in it, and it was pretty magical. Yeah, Spaceship Earth. <laughs> Still there. Actually, can I talk a little bit about Disney? Sure, of okay. course. <laughs> I like to talk about it a lot. So when I was there, one of my favorite things that I did was support Disney Cruise Line, mm-hmm. and it kind of feeds into why I ended up coming to Haas. And so when I was supporting Disney Cruise Line... We, we were basically like internal consultants. We supported different client areas. So I supported water parks, resorts, and then Disney Cruise Line. Okay. Disney Cruise Line, we had at the time four ships and our ships do something called dry dock. So you take the ship and you, you steer it into a dock. You take out all of the water from the dock, which is why it's called a dry dock. Mm-hmm. And then you do construction projects on that ship. Mm. And so it's like you need to replace the engine. You need to paint the entire ship sometimes, remove paint that's been there for a really long time. Right. And, of course, the inside, which is, for me, the, the most interesting part. You need to take a room, mm-hmm. completely transform it from you know, Aladdin's palace into Tiana's place, for example. Mm. And that transformation is not just a wonderful creative idea. It is a logistical process that involves putting a bunch of containers on the ship with limited space and involves scheduling these different vendors. There are hundreds of vendors. They're from all around the world. They all have contracts with us, but some different lengths of time, some different motivations, and they're all working a lot of times in the same space. One person's doing the Wi-Fi in the ceiling. Someone's doing the floor. Someone's doing the wall. And in order for you to accomplish the entire ship renovation within three to six weeks or even less, you need to make sure you're on time. And so that was my job. I worked in scheduling and logistics for the cruise ships. Three to six weeks? I mean, how many rooms are we talking about? We have, oh my goodness. So we have thousands of people on the ship. So we have thousands of rooms. We have... 
a lot of other spaces. So right. kids spaces, we have adult entertainment spaces, pools were completely redone and they could even from a facade standpoint, so they might just be fixed up or they could completely be ripped out. Wow. And now we're putting in a new Mickey pool and now we have to put fountains all around and make sure that everything is working well together. I have to take a Disney cruise now. A hundred percent. I recommend it. <laughs> uh, I mean, are you guys renovating the entire ship? You you can be. Okay. So the longest one was the, the biggest cruise line dry dock in history was the Disney Wonder, mm -hmm. which is what I worked on for my first dry dock. And it was six weeks. And then I did a shorter one, which was about two and a half, three weeks for another one of our ships, the Disney Fantasy. Did this all kind of fall under your role as a as an industrial engineer or did you have to move from Disney World to Disney Cruise Line? It fell underneath my role under industrial engineering. Oh, that's that's pretty broad. Yes. I mean, from costume management. To yes, yes. They, we, have, we support parks, water parks. Uh, we supported resorts, merchandise, food and beverage, all of these different aspects of Disney World, including sports, because we do things like run Disney. Right. So marathons and things like that. And so supported all of those different areas. We rotated about every two years. So got to see a couple of different areas. But that's only focused on Florida, right? Nothing in California. Correct. Or... There's a separate industrial engineering team in California. I see. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that really begs the question, why did you leave Disney? Yeah, that is a good question. And I thought about this a lot. I absolutely loved my job. It was my dream job coming out of college. It was really a struggle to get there. They did not have any job openings when I was graduating. And so I was going to go work at an internship. I did not care as long as I was able to be there. But ended up being able to find a spot right, right in the nick of time, I think June, before wow. I started in August. And so I was really happy there. And I thought two things. Number one, what else could I do that could also bring me joy? Are there other jobs in the world that could bring me joy where I could help people in a different way? Especially growing up in Flint, seeing my family and having fewer and fewer opportunities because of the places that they stayed in terms of education, in terms of what was available to them. And for some reason, because my mom was able to move us, we got something better. I think that was ridiculous. And so I always loved volunteering. I always felt that it was part of my mission to help others. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, could I do volunteering as a job basically? And would I enjoy that? Right. And the other thing was my partner. So we met freshman year of undergrad. His name is Servi. And we were dating that entire time, undergrad. We moved to Florida together, but he lived in Miami because he is a robotics engineer and mm -hmm. could not find a robotics engineering job in Orlando. Right. And so we also wanted a place where we could be together mm. and where we could both be able to continue living on our, our dreams and our visions for what we saw in the world. So we took this crazy chance of saying, why don't we try out going to a place we've always wanted to see, which is California. And it is per a perfect mix, specifically the Bay Area, of being able to explore his robotics interests along right. with my interest in social impact. Right, right. So why Haas? Why mm -hmm. did you choose Haas? Did you did you already move here before you apply to Haas or did you apply to Haas and then decide to move here? Yeah, I applied to Haas first. I applied to grad schools in general. I applied to three different grad schools and I was deciding between Stanford and Haas. Mm -hmm. And I chose Haas because I felt 
like family here. I yeah. felt at home. I talked to a ton of people from every school that I applied to beforehand. Mm-hmm. And there were so many people at Haas who just spoke with me and were generous with their time with no expectation. And with this desire to help me learn and explore and figure out what was out there for me. Mm-hmm. And that was really lovely. That's a common theme that I find when I talk to people mm-hmm. who don't know each other. They mention the exact same story that they come on a Haas and, you know, people are willing to give them the time of day to sit, just someone random that you could, you know, meet in the courtyard. Um, they'll just chat with you. It's taught me to pass that on mm-hmm. and to pass it forward. Mm-hmm. It, it does seem like it's it's our culture to really inspire people to come here. Speak for myself, at least. I found so much value out of not only the education, the curriculum, obviously, but the people that I meet. Right? Definitely. But you know, I, I do have to ask you, one of the things I've noticed, at least in our class, is that we don't have that many people of color. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little disturbing. And I mean, I've thought about it a lot and talked to my classmates about that, but that's something... I feel like we should really encourage just more diversity here. And I don't know if it's the application process Mm -hmm. or people just don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've been involved in a lot of diversity efforts at Haas since I've gotten here. I was, uh, we have an organization called the Consortium Mm -hmm. for Graduate Study of Management. And I was one of the co-liaisons, co-presidents of the organization for this past year. And so my, the whole mission of the consortium is to increase the number of underrepresented minorities in business. Mm -hmm. And so that specifically consortium focuses on African-Americans, Hispanic Americans and Native Americans. Mm. And it was a really interesting process for the consortium specifically because other people who are not in those three racial groups can apply as long as they've demonstrated that they've been able to work with groups who are African-American, Hispanic-American or Native American. And in my class, I think we had about... 10 or so African-American students, a little bit more maybe. And in this class that we just had, we had six. And so... We're talking about, just so our listeners know, uh, for prospective students, we have about, what, 280 now, I think? Yes, a little bit more than that. Almost 300. Right. We've we've gone up from uh, around 260 because of our new building to, to around 300, right? 10 students. That's... Yeah. Or even six. And then the class before us was significantly bigger. I think about 20 20 or so students. And so when I first came to Haas, it didn't seem like a big deal, except for that my class was half of the class before us. And so we were asking questions about it. We were curious. We were trying to figure out answers. We worked with admissions all of the time in terms of reaching out to students more, in terms of creating more consortium events and bringing people in, in terms of, making Berkeley House Interview Day have a specific consortium, lunch, things like that, all kinds of different things to try to improve it. And then when the class below me uh, had six students, then we were obviously very upset, um, very confused, and also had to let them know before we started the semester. So in the summer before we started the school year, Consortium liaisons go to whatever the destination is. This past year was Orlando for the orientation program conference for Mm -hmm. consortium. And so we had to let this group of students know, some of whom, many of whom obviously were not Black, uh, Native American, were not Hispanic American. We had to let these students know exactly what was going on Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. the the feelings were on campus about what was happening. All those students are incredible. I love them all. They are 
all very devoted to this cause, but they are not necessarily representative of the people who have not had as many opportunities, specifically in the United States. So that was a really uncomfortable conversation. It was really hard. And I think that is something I will remember always because they really appreciate being prepared for that. Right. Because as they started the school year, then they had to deal with it. They had to deal with that being their class. They had to deal with different articles coming out about this. Right. And our now consortium leads themselves and are talking to prospective students and are still dealing with this. So I have a lot of thoughts about what could be improved. And I think that the, I think Berkeley should be credited in terms of partnering with students to ensure that change happens, but it's definitely going to be slow. I can't tell you how many students I've gotten emails from who are super excited about Haas, but they say, I don't want to be one person out of seven in the class. Right. It's going to feel less comfortable than if I went somewhere else. Even though we have amazing classes like Dialogues on Race, even though we have amazing environments where we can talk about these things, where we have race inclusion initiative, it doesn't matter if we don't reflect the population that we're seeking to attract. Absolutely. Even on top of that, I mean, being in the part-time program, obviously, if the full-time program is too prohibitive for for some students or some prospective students, I should say, at least explore the part-time program that many don't know about. You know, you could be working mm-hmm. I mean, full-time and then, you know, go to school part-time and get your MBA. It, it's, it blew my mind when I got here that literally in my class of 253 that I think there were like four African-American students. Mm-hmm. And that's, especially being at Haas, being at Berkeley, right. it's just... You know, the student body on top of the program can definitely do more to at least get the word out of how an MBA that's doable, right? Because that's what I hear a lot when, when students are exploring MBA. They're just, they just don't think it's feasible financially or well, financially. That's that's a big part. Right, right, right. <laughs> of course. And we've met amazing people already. Yeah. You know, not even alumni. It's a, a very um, like incredible investment that pays off. And I think that money is a huge issue. It was a huge issue for me in terms of finding out ways that alternative ways I could fund their fellowships, their scholarships, their working as a graduate student instructor. There are all kinds of different things that could help with that. But I think specifically for the problem of very few African-American students, the the feel of community is particularly important. Right. And so if prospective students like love everyone, they feel like it's cool. I, I, I feel like I could be here. I feel like I could figure out a way to pay for it. And they still only see two or three. It, I think it's a, a big act of courage to then say, okay, but I'm still going to come here. And something that could, should be recognized as an, as an act of courage. That's a really they could great, go somewhere else. That's a really great um, perspective. I mean, is that something that you thought about when you were applying or when you came? Yeah, that's a great question. I personally talked about it during days at Haas with uh, several other students, specifically black students that I was sitting with for lunch at the diversity luncheon Mm -hmm. that we had. And for me, it was not as much of a concern only because I've been in so many spaces where it's just a shame. Right. I went to Georgia Tech, like I said, amazing school, incredible engineering school, number one for industrial engineering in the country. (laughs) Like it's awesome. Six percent African-American students. So we are in Atlanta. Come right. on. Like, what right. is going on? Right. Uh, and I had those conversations there. So I didn't have, I mean, in my team at Disney, 70 person team. And 
only one African-American person. That was me. And the other person was was a an executive assistant who is amazing and right. fantastic, but was not an engineer in the right. group or a manager. And not to say that there had never been any African-Americans in that group, mm-hmm. but the fact that it was basically me for three years is right. kind of ridiculous. Yeah. So I have... I'm used to being in spaces like this and I think that I'm used to it, but I wasn't tired of it. And not until I think I came here and started talking to more and more people that I'm like, I should be not tired of it. I should be upset Mm -hmm. and I should be not just feeling like, Oh, well, it's nice that I'm here. That's ridiculous. It should be that whoever can be here, whoever has the has the academics, whoever has the social capacity, which is a wide range of people have the ability to be here, they should be here too. Do you have any thoughts or advice for students that may be on the fence? I would say that Haas has been the most supportive environment I've ever been in in my entire life, which is saying a lot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot. Uh, More than close family relationships, I have been so impressed by how random strangers or people who I know for just a couple of weeks are willing to step up and be there for me Mm -hmm. and to support my dream. And I think that that is something really unique about this environment that is difficult to find in almost any other area in life. Okay, that's great to hear. Well, it's, uh, that's a great segue into Haas. <laughs> Let's talk more about your, your time at Haas yes. so far. How have you been involved at school? Because I know you're super involved. Yes. Uh, that's how I got your name. <laughs> <laughs> I love being involved at Haas. So like I said, I was a consortium co-liaison. Mm-hmm. I was the uh, doing VP of communications for food at Haas. Mm-hmm. I love food. I feel like it's an amazing way to bring people together, mm-hmm. especially different cultures and people who are just from different places all around the world. Food is a something that is essential. We all need it. And I was VP of careers for Education Club. Okay. So as I said, I was really interested in social impact when I came to Haas and I got more specific into education because it impacted my life profoundly. And because I still talk to teachers that I've had since fourth grade, and I didn't realize that was weird until pretty recently. (laughs) (laughs) It's just changed my life. So those are major involvements also on the student board for the Center for Equity, Gender and Leadership. Today, we just had our investing in inclusion pitch competition, which is really exciting. A time where people could pitch ideas that were related to diversity, equity, and inclusion as a business. What, what is that center? Can you talk a little bit about it? Sure. The center was created by Kelly McElhaney and it just opened last year. And the purpose of the center is to amplify equity. So to make sure that we're making voices that are already talking about these issues even louder, mm-hmm. providing them with a platform. And then we do typically blog posts and things like that to continue to up their profile. We do research with organizations and companies that are interested in partnering with students They're the ones who are saying, we care about this issue. We know students care about this. We've been doing things in this area. What else could we do? Right. What else could we see? How can we utilize empathy? How can we utilize diversity, equity, and inclusion within our group setting? Are there specific activities we can do? Are there papers that we should read? And so they partner with us for those those kinds of things as well. Is this a on-campus organization? Yes. Berkeley as a whole or just Haas? Just Haas. Got it. Wow. You know, there's so many things about Haas that I don't even know about. <laughs> it's, it's, there's, I feel like 
when we do our research coming into Haas, you're just like, I think I know everything I need to know about the school. And you get in, there's like, there's so much more. There are so many things. I mean, story salon, having that intimate environment where you can share your story right. with other people. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I did story salon, which was really fun. Mm -hmm. And it is all about being in this kind of room where some norms are set. Right. The norms are that the stories will stay with the people in the rooms. Mm -hmm. They can share their learnings, but they are not to share the specific content. You're having wine and food and little snacks while you're sitting and listening to someone explain and share some part of themselves. So it could be anything. It could be about their, their childhood growing up or about their relationship with their parents. Or for me, it was about how the concept of love has defined my life and how it has changed throughout the years. This is a, is this a club in the full-time program or is it just kind of like a. Yeah, it's not a club, thing. but it's, there is, there are people who are assigned to be coaches for Story Salon. They have to apply to be coaches. And then basically people enter into a lottery to be selected to mm. do their Story Salon. Sounds like the moth hour. Yes, exactly. <laughs> What are your plans after us? So my plans are very closely aligned to something I did I did work on while I was at Haas. So well, in consortium, we have a lot of mentorship programs. Mm -hmm. And one of them is called Cheetah Tank. So there's a school in Oakland. It's called Emerson Elementary School. Okay. And it has a lot of students who are African-American and Hispanic or majority minority school. And it is just full of brilliant, interesting, amazing students. We were connected with them because the teacher there, she, uh, her partner was at Haas. And so we started working with them and we created this program similar to Shark Tank, but it's called Cheetah Tank, which is their school mascot. Okay. And we worked with fourth and fifth graders there to build not only their ideas of what a business could be, because a business could be so many different things, but specifically from a Haas perspective, what it means to build a team, what it means to do problem identification. So instead of thinking, oh, what's a cool product people would buy? It's more about what problem am I trying to solve? What does that problem look like? Who does that problem affect? And so we got such amazing ideas with these students, ideas about anti-bullying radars and about things that have to do with global warming and caring about our environment. So they are really amazing kids. We worked with them for about a semester, five, four or five months. Every two weeks we would go to the school, we would have programming, and then they came to pitch on campus in May. And they were just killing it. We got three judges, all of whom were entrepreneurs, to judge them. They got some prizes afterward. It was just, for me, a really feel-good experience right. because... I realized like I really do love the education sector. I love working with kids, but the way that I like working with them is in doing all of the operational elements for them. So I just accepted a job as head of operations. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really excited. I'm already started working part-time and we'll start full-time once I graduate. So it's head of operations at a school called Hayward Collegiate, which mm -hmm. we're opening in August. It is a community-driven and backed charter school where we're really excited to provide for kindergarten to sixth grade. We're starting with kindergarten and first grade for mm -hmm. now, and then we'll build a grade level every year. And it is such a fun mix of 
talking to the founder about like, okay, what are, what are we going to do for procurement? What desks are we going to buy? How should they be arranged? And then, okay, so what do we think about the name the Hawks or like, what could our classroom be called? Or how can we think about the creative element that uh, we could do to make sure that teachers are really enjoying their time here? So it is so fun to balance those two things. And I think that it's going to be a really nice transition. I found from a job that I loved at Disney into another job that I love also impacting students and families. That's amazing. How could our listeners help? Oh, (laughs) that is a great question. So first of all, we're going to be doing a fundraiser in a few, probably in April. Mm -hmm. And I will put, maybe I can provide details to you later, but I'll put some details out there. Yeah. Well, definitely we'll, we'll get the link and put it in the description if anyone's interested in checking it out. Yeah, that would be amazing. We're also going to be doing a book drive. We need books for our library for the kids, which is going to be exciting. And we also need help with computers and laptops for the school. Good to know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This is truly a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me again. And it was so awesome just chatting with you. Thanks, Bree. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Haasies willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast, or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu. 